Hello, and welcome to episode 79 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me this week is film critic Erica Richards, whose writing can be found at sites such as In Their Own League, CRP Rights, and In Session Film. Welcome to the podcast, Erica. It's so nice to get to talk to you. How's your weekend going? Yes, thank you so much for having me. My weekend's good. Um, It's cold here, cold and windy in Baltimore here this weekend, so obviously indoors a lot but um but good you know uh playoffs are today so unfortunately my ravens didn't make it but i'll be watching football (laughs) watching football later today so um you know and it's uh it's the weekend so i can't be too upset right (laughs) yeah for for another day it's the weekend right sunday's always kind of like uh it doesn't always feel great because it's like oh man tomorrow is it's monday but i know um who are you who are you rooting for now Look, I am so loyal to Baltimore and the Ravens that I don't root for any other teams. Like, I'm not like one of those people that's like, oh, I want like the AFC team to do well. No, I don't want anyone to do well other than the Ravens. So I don't okay. root for, I, <laughs> I don't, I'm like that fan. Um, yeah. but I don't root for anyone other than the Ravens. So I don't know, honestly, like, uh, sure. Like, I just want to see a good game. Like, honestly, yeah. you know, whatever happens, happens. I have no dog in the fight anymore. So, you know. Well, my roommate is a Pax fan, so hopefully the Packers do well. But um, if they don't, then it's not it, a big deal for me. It's no skin off my back. So it's it's no fun for him though. So yeah, <laughs> I think they'll do. I think they'll do well. I think they'll do well. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know anything. That's why you you know that's why you play the game, right? And that's why we watch. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, uh, last week I was joined by Dana Nyland to talk about the top ten films of 2020. I would definitely recommend you check that out if you want to hear which films were the best of a very long and very awful year. But now we are finally moving forward into 2021, kind of. Uh, Next week, for sure, we'll be in 2021 because it's the Sundance Film Festival, which I will be covering in as much detail as possible. Um, Still working some stuff out, but have some really exciting stuff coming up. That's so exciting. I'm so pumped for you. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm really excited for it. I've I've already seen a couple things and um, it's just a lot of fun and, and really exciting. Yeah. But this week, Erica and I will be discussing two films that are technically 2020 releases, but have only recently been made available to the general public. So I'm talking about One Night in Miami and Promising Young Woman. So the way we're going to handle this double feature is that we'll start with One Night in Miami and we'll warm up with spoiler-free thoughts before running into softish spoilers. The film is based on a play with real people, and there isn't too much in terms of spoilers in that film. So you should be able to listen all the way through, even if you haven't seen the film. But then after that, we'll move on to Promising Young Woman, first with a brief spoiler-free section, and then we'll run straight into heavy spoiler-filled discussion. So I think Erica and I both agree, if you haven't seen that film yet, hold off on the spoilers for the film. Definitely go see the film however you can. And use the show notes, of course, to skip around to the timestamps that I have marked. And then lastly, as usual, we'll wrap up with our point two section where we talk about what else we've been watching. But first, let's start with a synopsis of One Night in Miami. One Night in Miami is a fictional account of one incredible night where icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 60s. One Night in Miami stars Kingsley Benadir, Eli Gorey, Aldous Hodge, and Leslie Odom Jr., It is written by Kemp Powers and directed by Regina King. You brothers, you could move mountains without lifting a finger. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. 
Who's McGregor? That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. All together, yeah. The entire city of Miami is celebrating. I'm the new heavyweight champion of the world, and I don't even have a scratch on my face. Oh, my goodness. So let's start with a clarification, because I think the synopsis is a little bit misleading, specifically when it talks about how it's a fictional account. I thought that was kind of bizarre because a lot of things that are based on real events don't actually say that. Um, It kind of makes it seem like this entire thing is made up. But this film does take place on February 25th, 1964. And these men were in a room together after Cassius Clay, who becomes Muhammad Ali, after he wins the heavyweight title of the world. What isn't known is what they actually are talking about in that room. So this film is the imagined conversation between these men. But the events in the film and the ultimate aftermath of the event did actually take place. So with that in mind, Erica, I guess the first question, what did you think of the film? Overall thoughts? So I really, I really enjoyed this. I'm going to be really, really honest here. I have tried, especially in the past couple of years to not really ever watch trailers, right? Because I Mm -hmm. feel like they give away so much and I'm just like, I don't want to see the whole film in two minutes before I actually watch the film. So I try to stay away from trailers, but I did see this one because I was like showing it to a friend who I thought would really like the film. And this is before it even came out. And I think even the trailer makes it look like a different film than what it is. Hmm. Um, And honestly, (laughs) this might be like, you know, making me look bad. I didn't know it was based on a play. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't know that until like, we got into it. I try to stay away from anything that's going to give any way, like away anything about the film before I see it. So I didn't even yeah. know it was based on a play. So maybe that's just my like ignorance, but I really enjoyed it. I thought Regina King's direction was really done really, really well. Like I'm, I'm hoping she's, I don't think she'll be in the conversation for like any director awards, but I mean, she's definitely put her herself on the map as a director. Um, I thought it was really strong performances. Um, and I know we'll get into this later, but um, I do appreciate that even though it's adapted from a stage play and a lot of it is conversational and a lot of it takes place in in one location, I think the moments where it does step out of that one location are perfectly timed. I think they're done really. I think those scenes are done really well. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm pretty much right on the same page with you. I mean, I don't think I would have known that this was a play just by the name of it. Like I wasn't aware of this play. Right. But I had heard some of the marketing stuff. But in general, yeah, I try to avoid trailers as much as possible and go in as blind as possible. So that's why I'm sort of like a little more spoiler adverse on this podcast. Um, I just think the premise of this film alone is so cool. Like just to be able to have four of the most prolific and arguably four of the most important men in the country at this time in one place and just get to, as like a writer, imagine what they might talk about. That is so fascinating. And I agree with you. I think the film is exquisite. It's like excellence. Regina King just kind of has like a a king or queen feel to her. And you can feel that in the direction of the movie. It's just such a beautiful and exquisite film. I agree. I think it knows exactly what it wants to be. And it it fully goes for it. And absolutely. Yeah. I I do think it starts off a bit slow. Um, I felt like the first 40-ish minutes, I was sort of like, 
where is this going? going? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It didn't immediately capture my attention. Like I wasn't like it didn't start right away and I wasn't like, oh, I am zeroed in. But then there's kind of a a point where it snaps into focus. And I think we can agree on what that scene is. Uh, It's the scene on the roof, right, where it kind of like goes, oh, this is what the film is about. Mm -hmm. And from then on, it's like eyes glued to the screen. Sensational. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also I, I and again, back to Regina King's direction and just like the structure of the film. I enjoyed that we get introduced to the characters individually and then we spend all of this time with them together. And then mm-hmm. again, at the end, we see where they're at individually. Um, and I agree with you. I think when it first started, I was like, OK, here's the characters like we're setting it up and where is this going to go? And then I was like, OK, where is this going to go? And then it's like, <laughs> oh, OK, that's where we're going. And then, like you said, it like it fully takes itself on. And and I think it it ends up being really uh, powerful. Yeah. And so I think without spoiling too much, or I mean, I guess we're, we're kind of going to go into spoilers anyways or whatever, but like the film is more or less about dialogue between these characters and what these characters may, or I guess the characters, not necessarily the people that they're based on, but the characters in this film, what they believe are the um, roles of these individuals in the advancement of black people at this moment in history. And so obviously the 60s Hugely important for the civil rights movement, but you have a lot of different conflicting ideologies, and it's it's really dense. Um, it's certainly not something that I'm personally capable of dissecting in any significant manner. But I think the way that the film explores it, and the way that it even just shows that there are these sort of um, differences and uh, a diaspora of these individuals and their ideologies, and how they conflict, and how they can still be friends and mutually respect each other while still disagreeing on some of these things that are so fundamental is really fascinating. But I feel like each one of them has a um, an ideology and the way that the dialogue explains it is so convincing where there's times where I'm like, yeah, makes exact sense what uh, Malcolm X is saying. And then a couple minutes later, when Sam Cooke has said his thing, you're like, oh, that makes sense too. What? And, and I love that the film makes you think like that. Yeah. And, and it's a really interesting approach too, right? Like you think, okay, here are all these people that are on the same side of the coin, right? Mm -hmm. Um, they, on the basis of what they think agree on. Right. But then, like you said, they all have their different viewpoints and their different ideas and their different, you know, um, outlooks. And you're like, oh, we can agree, but disagree at the same time or have different of opinion or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, like you said, for these four black men who are so, like you said, uh, prolific in this time, in this era, and even still today to see, like you said, you know, that they can all have these intense conversations, right? Like you're saying, um, and I think something in, in your notes that I saw that I appreciate it was like, you know, you're trying to digest the one thing and it's already moved on to the other thing. And you're like, just trying to keep up, but also like, okay, but this is, I, I appreciate it how like real life it was, you know, in, in conversations with your friends, right. You're not like, okay, cut, let's talk about the next thing you're it's ever evolving. Right. Yeah. So I, I appreciated that about it as well, but it's one of those films, like you have to pay attention. You have to stay, you know, stay with it. Otherwise you're going to get lost. Yeah, it's definitely a dense film. And towards the end, there's a couple additional arguments or confrontations where I'm like, whoa, I am still digesting the first part. 
before. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if I can handle what Muhammad Ali is saying because I'm still trying to figure out what Sam Cooke and Malcolm X are handling, um, are saying. And I think that that will, you know, I think that rewards, it means it rewards multiple viewings. Yeah. And I think like if I saw this again, unfortunately, I only saw it the one time. But if I were to see it again, that would not be as much of an issue because you'd kind of be ready for the beats a little bit. And maybe yeah. people who are more uh, intimately familiar with these characters probably don't have that uh, that much of a problem with it. Right. And like you, like you said, I think, I mean, I think every film, you know, can warrant a second viewing for it to be more easily digestible. Mm-hmm. But um, I think especially this one, because you're not like you, you and I both said the first time we both saw it you're you're it, there, there's that little thing in the back of your head where you're like okay where is this going and then the second viewing you're not questioning that you know yeah. where it's going so you're not so distracted by what's going to happen you know what's going to happen and then you're on board from the beginning so yeah i agree um i want to talk a little bit about what you said about how it's based on a play and how you didn't know mm-hmm. because um kind of i love that about this film i really love that even though it is based on a play it doesn't feel like it's based on a play and perhaps it's too simplistic of a comparison, but we got another film that's based on a play um, that deals with similar topics and issues. And that's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in December. And I love those performances. I think Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman and everybody else in the cast, incredible performances, but I don't love that movie. Um, Not nearly as much as I love this movie. And I do feel like because the way that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is structured, it feels like a direct translation translation of the stage play that it's based on right. instead of feeling like an adaptation for the film. Like it feels like I'm literally just watching the stage play instead of watching somebody adapt it for the film medium. But I do feel like this film, One Night in Miami, takes advantage of the film medium. You know, you have those initial scenes where people are in different places and you get to see the fight between Muhammad Ali and um can't remember the guy's name. Yeah, but, and yeah. then they kind of cut away to different places and it actually feels cinematic. But I guess my question to you is when you're watching films like this, films that have been adapted from a stage play, how important is that to you? So that, you know, that's such an interesting question to ask. Cause I think it really makes a difference on what the, what the story is. Right. So like, mm-hmm. for example, Ma Rainey's back black bottom. I also, again, love those performances, but I think, that film's a little tiresome because it it really does take place in like basically the same location the entire time. And exactly like you said, with One Night in Miami, um, I I appreciated that it went outside of that, that hotel room, right? And that mm-hmm. setting. And I agree with you. I think this is why film is my favorite medium. This is why film is the most talked about form of art, I think, right? Um, because it's all of the things that make up art brought together. And I think like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, as as amazing as it was, I think it could have benefited from taking advantage of it being a film instead of sticking so closely to the film or to the stage adaptation, right? Yeah. I think my One Night in Miami did it perfectly. Like you said, like I love, I actually love the scenes um, with Muhammad Ali fighting. Um, And I'm not really even someone who like loves boxing. I just, (laughs) you know, it's just like those scenes were so well done and so well shot and edited. And like, I really appreciated that. And, um, you know, you can't get that on a stage, right? That being said, one of my favorite films of all time is Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. Have you ever seen that? 
Uh, very recently, actually. Really? But, yeah, it's fantastic. I, I recommend that film to everyone I know. It's it's actually the first film I saw in my very first film class in undergrad. And I was oh, like, wow. oh, yeah, OK, this is what <laughs> I want to do with my life. Like this is I'm yeah. in like, you know, um, and that fully take. And but I think, again, Hitchcock and don't get me started because I'll go off on a Hitchcock tangent because I'm obsessed. I think Hitchcock used that because that's adapted from a play. Did you know that? I did not know that. It makes sense, though. I mean, like you can really feel a lot of Hitchcock's films feel like. Yes plays yeah yes rear window yeah definitely um it's also rope is based off of a a real murder that actually happened but um (laughs) yeah yeah wikipedia that later um so but i think hitchcock again used that whole you know it's the first film to ever attempt the like one shot thing Mm -hmm. right so he used that in a way to say like okay let's take a a play you know a stage at a stage play and then adapt it into a film but let's use the camera as a trick on you know watching something full and in real time Mm -hmm. right which is why it's so amazing i think one one night in miami like i said does it perfectly they step outside of that room i love that it's called one night in miami and miami isn't a character at all in this right like (laughs) yeah i was expecting like miami to be a part of it and it really hate when movies do that I I, I don't like when like a city is a character. Oh, okay, okay, that bothers okay. me so much. Well, it's mainly when New York is a character because it's like oh, I get okay. it. I right, get right. it. We all get it, right? It's yeah, like I've been to New York. I get it. Right, right. Um, no, I I hear you out on that. I totally hear you out on that. Um, and not even I shouldn't have said like a character, but like you don't see any of Miami right. really. You know what I mean? Um, and I think I was expecting that. I'm like, oh, this is one night in a hotel room. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, but yeah, I, again, like, I think Regina King, she's got, I, I can't wait to see what she does next, honestly. Um, and it's, and someone too, who, like you said, I think this film is dense. I think, um, the average movie goer, movie watcher will struggle through that middle part. Like we were saying, where it's mm-hmm. heavy conversation. Um, I'm someone who also loves conversation based films. Like the before trilogy is my favorite. Um, I don't know if you've seen any any of those films that that's basically just people walking and talking the entire Mm. time. Um, But it's some of my favorite, favorite stuff I've ever seen on screen. So I think when it's done well, it can be done well, right? Like I love, I I really liked it. I really liked it. And I, I think, I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see what it does during the award season. Yeah. I mean, I hope that it does get some nods. What I've heard kind of, rumblings or basically just like my tiny sample size of reading one or two tweets is that a lot of people are probably going to uh, award it by giving it the best song by giving Leslie Odom Jr.'s uh, kind of credit song the the yeah. best song Oscar and that makes sense to me but I do think that there's some really great performances here and I want to talk a little bit more about those as we kind of transition into spoilers yeah. but um before we do that why don't you just give your overall thoughts or summarize your overall thoughts and uh, give a score out of 10. Uh, I I always say I'm like the weirdest film critic because my scores are always <laughs> so high. Um, yeah. Just because I love film so much, that sounds cheesy, but like, and as someone who works in production, I can understand how difficult it is to make a film. So I think that just like ups my appreciation for every single film I watch. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to give this, I think I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. Do you do out of 10 here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Eight and out of 10. You can do halves or whatever. Yeah. I think I'm going to, I think a solid eight out of 10. Uh, 
See, now I'm like, should I give it eight and a half, nine? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think eight out of 10. I also try to base my grade on like, how eager am I to watch it again? And I don't think I'm like, oh, I can't wait to watch this again. Or, oh, I'm going to see myself watching this a lot. I think it's a really powerful narrative. Like you said, I think it's really creative. Like, let's take this real thing that we know that happened. And then what do we, like, we weren't in that room, right? No one was in that room except for those people. But what do we think they talked about? What do they think, what do we think, you know, happened in there? I think it's a really creative um, approach to storytelling. Um, Like you said, powerful, like really good performances. Yeah, I think it's a solid eight out of 10. Definitely, you know, for your listeners uh, out there, if they haven't seen it, definitely seek it out. Yeah, Um, I'm very similar. I'm going to be a little bit higher. Uh, I think overall, I think this film just lives in the dialogue and the dialogue is so exquisite. The way that the characters interact, amazing. There's no real plot, but just alone with the dialogue, such an interesting film. For me, it's pretty much a home run, although it took a while for them to kind of swing the bat and hit the ball. So like it didn't catch me right away, but once it did, I was completely hooked. So for me, it's a nine out of 10, but I think very similar sentiment. And I uh, don't think we mentioned that this is a prime video release. So you can check it out if you have prime uh, for free and we'd highly recommend you do that. Yeah. But uh, let's go ahead and move into spoilers now. I'm going to say spoilers for One Night in Miami starting now. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. So just, I, I guess the, the one or the main thing I wanted to talk about in the spoiler section, and again, it's not really spoilers, but I want to talk a bit specifically about these four performances and kind of the the people behind the characters. Um, did you have a personal favorite of the four? We've got Kingsley Benadir as Malcolm X, Eli Gorey as Muhammad Ali, Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown, and Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. Yeah, that, you know, I was thinking a lot about that question and... <laughs> baseline i have a huge crush on aldis hodge so like he's just up there because i have a huge crush on him he was good honestly like leslie odom jr blew me away as sam cook he blew me away i think partially because you know obviously hamilton happened this this year right and then we all got to Mm -hmm. see that did you watch hamilton of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I became like obsessed with the soundtrack that was like on my Spotify, like my most listened to thing. Right. Um, my most listened to song of the year was wait for it. Um, so I just, I love his singing. I thought he was, I just, he was so good. He was so good. And he really blew me away. That being said, like, you know, the two individuals that also played, um, Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali like I loved Muhammad Ali's accent like you know his little like (laughs) way he talks like I thought he did that really well I mean they're all like and their chemistry too right I think Mm -hmm. they're like they were all so good together it elevated their performance because they were just their chemistry together was so good I think if I had to pick a favorite I think I'd go with Leslie and uh his his Sam Cooke it was so so good yeah so how much do you know about like the the actual Sam Cooke? Um, because he's kind of a person that I was not super familiar with, unfortunately. So when I was watching this performance, there wasn't any part of me where I was like trying to compare him to how I thought of him actually. Uh, I will say that like once you listen to a couple Sam Cooke songs, it's so clear 
that he has a completely different voice than Leslie Odom Jr. Like Leslie Odom Jr., as you're saying, amazing voice. Yes. Um, but if you his if you listen to his version of something is going to change, and then you listen to Sam Cooke's, it's like night and day. It's completely different. Right. Yeah, I didn't know who I didn't really know who Sam Cooke was either. And actually, I looked him up after the fact, um, which I think also says something, right? Like Leslie Odom Jr. played this person who I didn't even really know, and then I was like, I gotta know about this person, right? right? Yeah. Um, which I think says something to his performance. Um, he had a really mysterious, uh, death. Yeah. Yes. Did you look that up? Yeah. Super bizarre. And what? It, it's weird. Cause like he dies later in the year that this film takes place. And I was like, right. it's really weird that this film doesn't address that at all. But then you start reading about it and you're like, oh, okay, that's way out of the scope of right. what this film wants to talk about. And this film, and I, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, and I did want to make sure I say say this. This is literally a slice of life, right? Like yeah. we're seeing this one day, um, because I also like like we were just saying that his the stuff around his death is really mysterious and really, like you said, I think that choice of not making it part of this film was good because oh my god, it's just so bizarre, right? Yeah. Um, you know. <sighs> I don't see that personality in the character that Leslie was playing, you know, like he seemed mm-hmm. like a wild, crazy partier. Right. Yeah. And there is that one moment and there's multiple moments where they all want to have this, like this crazy night out. Right. They want to celebrate, um, you know, Muhammad Ali's win, but you don't really see. And like, I think that's why it's so important again to say it's like this slice of life. We're only seeing one night of these, men of these characters right um yeah we don't i i didn't know really who sam cook was so it's interesting that he ended up being my favorite and not my favorite character but definitely my favorite performance if that makes sense yeah no it, it definitely does and i mean he's just such a charismatic guy and i think that's true about all of them um yes. you know i i think the the part that was really exciting about the sam cook character and i don't know how authentic this is to what he actually thought at the time but that idea of why he's comfortable with pandering to white audiences and his thoughts on economic freedom as a way to strengthen the civil rights movement and uh, and like how he supports black uh, black businesses, black owned businesses. And just the way he eloquated that was incredible. Like I, I had never thought of that. And I feel like if you were to bring that up, it might not make sense. But the way that Kemp Powers, who we haven't mentioned yet, the the guy who wrote this play that it's based off of and the screenplay and also was the co-director of soul. So he's having an amazing year. Oh, but, oh you know what? I did know that, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, where yeah. else have I seen his name? And then I just like the thought lost my mind, but I'm like, yeah, Oh, that's right. Oh, I love soul. Yeah. yeah. And I listened to your and Colby's uh, podcast on that. that oh, was- thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just, just the way that Kent Powers is able to explain these things in a way that like, even if you, it doesn't, align with your fundamental ideology, you at least understand why it aligns with Sam Cooke's. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And and again, I think that goes to just the message that I think this film is trying to give, right? Like you can have differencing, different opinions and different, you know, outlooks and, and what you think will work and what you think, you know, is right or right or wrong or however you want to mm-hmm. say it. Right. And still have respect for one another and still have friends. You know, these men are friends, right? I agree. I think that's, that's interesting. And I think that that all kind of 
is fundamental to the Kingsley Benadire character who plays Malcolm X. Um, I, I'm curious, Erica, have you seen the Malcolm X movie starring Denzel Washington? So I haven't, but um, I did look up. I know you in in, uh, in you know notes about this what we were going to talk about. I did look up that Kennedy scene because I wanted to to see what what uh, what happened there and. Yeah, like I don't have, so I don't really have a comparison because I didn't see that film. But um, I thought this character, the way he played it, was was really was really more soft spoken than I mm-hmm. thought he was going to be. I really liked that we saw his relationship with his wife and his daughters. Right? Um, I thought that made him. S- is soft the right word I want to use? I don't know. Like it made. I, him- I would say like humanistic, almost yeah. like. You know, uh, something that the Malcolm X film does almost like painstakingly, since it's three hours and 20 minutes, is that it makes the Malcolm X character a fully fleshed human being. And he kind of evolves and has mistakes in his early life. And he goes to prison and you like see all that. And I think in general, I mean, this is not a you know novel observation by any stretch of the imagination, but as like a, a white kid in school you learned stuff about malcolm x and it was pretty hyperbolic in that Uh he's the stark opposite of martin luther king jr and he's the the radical and and the violent one that's a controlled learning that we receive right right? like it's very controlled in the way that message was given to us right and i think a lot of what malcolm x is trying to do and more of what uh kingsley benadir in this film is trying to do is kind of like not necessarily tear down that um, idea, but to kind of combat it and to show that he's he's a dude. And, and I mean, in this film, he's kind of insecure. He's kind of questioning his beliefs. And um, I don't know what what did you think about the the Denzel Washington portrayal in that um, uh, that speech that he gives about the Kennedy assassination versus how Kingsley Benadire addresses it in this one? Because to me, it was like a stark difference. Where in the Malcolm X film, he's sort of like aggressively saying it and it's very clearly like the chickens have come home to roost he more or less deserved it but now in this film which is a couple years after the kennedy assassination he's saying that's not what i meant like he kind of admits that it was kind of a stupid thing to do and i think that's really fascinating right i agree yeah um like i said i watched that clip and it seemed very cold in that delivery Mm -hmm. um very like matter of fact and i agree i think and that's like you said i think I haven't seen the full Malcolm X film right uh, that we're talking about, but this portrayal again, I think he seemed really soft-spoken and kinder and more thoughtful in his views. I think we all say things that we don't mean sometimes, or we all say things that get interpreted differently by, mm-hmm. by different people. Cause everyone, you know, everyone's own perception is their reality. Right. So I think seeing it, also in a in a closed room with his friends talking rather than seeing it like out with you know press and cameras and lights and microphones and stuff i think that makes it different too right um you feel i'm sure this pressure to say something monumental about something that was so like everyone knows about kennedy's assassination right like so maybe he said it and thought he was being bold in that moment and then regretted the way it came off i don't know um like i said i think this is more thoughtful i think we all say things like i said that we don't really not not that we don't mean but like we say them and then we don't realize how people are going to 
hear what we're saying, right? Yeah. And I mean, in the Malcolm X film, the last hour is kind of the section of the film that sort of encompasses this Kingsley Benadir character, where in his later years, right before he was killed, he was a little bit, I don't want to say less extreme, but he was more, uh, he, he was less of kind of like a, a prophet for the Brotherhood of Islam and more of kind of his own spokesperson. And he kind of formulated his own ideas. At least that was a takeaway I got from that film. And I feel like you really feel that in the Kingsley Benadir character where he's like just on the cusp of that, just about ready to kind of, you know, it happens at the end of this film. He announces his separation from the Brotherhood of Islam. And I think that like uh, like transitional character that he plays is it's a really fascinating performance. And I keep saying that word fascinating for this film, mm-hmm. but like it's just such an interesting film to watch. Yeah, I agree. I, I think fascinating is a, a great word for <laughs> it, honestly. Yeah. Um, I mean, so we have a whole other movie to talk about, so I don't want to stay on here too long. I guess I can't in good faith move on without addressing Aldous Hodge. I also love that guy. Um, Voodoo Tatum from Friday Night Lights. Love him. And I think he's great as Jim Brown. Um, I I have a question here that's like, what's your favorite scene? But for me, I think the, the, the most shocking scene is the introduction of the Jim Brown character when he's in Georgia and he's talking with his family friend, Mr. Carlton. And he's like, this guy is arguably the greatest football player in the world, maybe of all time. Um, And he is still debased by this guy who's supposed to be like one of his best friends. Or he says, you know, I love you. I'll do anything for you. But you can't come in the house because of the color of your skin. It's just such an effective and shocking way to like put you in the headspace of this Jim Brown character. It's incredible. I absolutely agree. And it's funny, you know, I I definitely agree with you how it takes a little while for it to click with you to be fully invested in this film. But I will say in those opening scenes, like I said, I really love the way that the characters were introduced. That scene for me is one that I will fully remember no matter if I watch this, this movie again or not. And that is the moment for me where I was like, Oh shit. Okay. What are we getting into here? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I thought this was going to be a fun night out in Miami. Again, I really (laughs) wasn't sure what I was like looking for here. And then I was like, oh, this is going to be a completely different film than what I thought it was. And even too, like I love that scene is so interesting too, because the granddaughter meets him. Right. And you can very much tell at first when there's a black man at the door that she's like, um, hi, how can I help you? You know, or whatever she says. Mm -hmm. And then when he's like, hi, I'm, you know, when she finds out who she, who he is, it's like, oh, things have changed. Right. Yeah. And but like you said, still again, like, oh, like him being like, well, I'll help you move that furniture. And then he's like, oh no, we, you know, I was devastated in that moment. This is, this was people's real lives. Right. Like, like Mm -hmm. you said, so you're someone who is open openly, like, praising him and and putting him on this pedestal and at the same time like kicking him to the ground i will never i will never forget that scene i agree with you i'm glad you brought that up i will never forget that scene yeah it's it's a fantastic scene and i mean there's so many scenes like this that are just so poignant um just to kind of like encompass all four of the characters i do want to say that eli gory i think was also great uh he's the youngest of the actors he's only 26 and of course muhammad ali is the youngest of the characters yeah. Um, I don't know too much about this actor. I recognize him from Glow, uh, which is the only other thing that I think I've seen him in. But 
I think this is just a really fun performance and it kind of gives an energy to the film that would be absent without the Muhammad Ali character. And it's really cool to see Muhammad Ali in this moment, like when he's on top of the world, when he's so young, he has not become the um, civil rights activist that he will become in his later years. I think this is another just great performance. I agree. I agree. It was, it was like, again, like there's so many intense moments in this film, but there's so many fun moments too. Like I love when he's, you know, he, he's talking about something and he looks in the mirror and he's like, Oh my God. You know? And the guys yeah. are like, what, what, what? And he's like, why am I so pretty? You know? And that's just yeah. so, <laughs> like you said, that's so Muhammad Ali. And I, I, again, not like I'm a huge boxing person or I'm a huge Muhammad Ali fan, but I've watched, I feel like I've watched documentaries about him or something and, and especially right now, right? Like so much of his life is focused on like his Parkinson's disease and how like, you know, out of it he is, right? Which is just like sad. And I think that's like, we're seeing so much of that more now. Like I love seeing him in, like you said, in these early moments and he was that that character, right? Like that, mm-hmm. like, I don't want to say cocky, but he was definitely cocky, right? And I didn't see yeah. that so much in this. Like I, I appreciate it too, that he was still very much in those early stages of like, you know, he was becoming the the greatest, right? And he he's cocky and confident, but it's not to the level that we know it to be, right? Yeah. I thought he did a really, really good job with that, you know. Um, yeah, that was fun. It was fun to watch him play a young Muhammad Ali. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, it is really fun to see all these characters in sort of different ways than mm-hmm. you might think of them, but also still feeling very much like those real life people. So yeah, um, yeah. I think we can go ahead and move on. Uh, yeah. One Night in Miami, amazing film. Yeah. Definitely check it out. Even if you've stuck through the spoiler section and you haven't seen it, really just uh, a good, great watch. So Let's go ahead and take a break here, and when we return, we'll move on to our review of Promising Young Woman. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. All right, we're back and talking about Promising Young Woman. So first, I'll do a synopsis. A young woman, traumatized by a tragic event in her past, seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. Promising Young Woman stars Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, and Laverne Cox. It is written and directed by Emerald Fennell. Good God almighty. You know, they put themselves in danger, girls like that. It was a perverted thing to say. You'd think you'd learn by that age, right? Please lay down. What are you doing? It's okay, hey, you're safe. What are you doing? Hey, I said, what are you doing? So, Erica, 
you're a great guest for this movie because you have seen this film five times. I have. I have. This is my favorite film of 2020 uh, for (laughs) sure. I got to the point where I was like, I can't take this anymore. I have to get a screener. So I was able to see it before it actually like came out. Right. Mm hmm. And um, because I was doing a a review podcast for um, in their own league, one of the other sites that I that I write for. Right. And I think all of us here, you know, in the film world are big fans of Matt over at Next Best Picture. And he had been talking about this film since January of last year when he saw it at Sundance. And this is a film that when I was at the movie theater still right when we were still going to theaters last year before uh, COVID happened that when I saw the preview, I was like, oh, this is, I want to see this. Like, this looks mm-hmm. really good. And then having to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And then more critics started seeing it and more people were talking about it. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I have to get a screener somehow. So I was blessed to get a screener. Um, I watched <laughs> it back to back. I watched it the first day I got it. And then the second, because, you know, it's kind of like a, tw- you know, 24 hour kind yeah. of thing. Right. And it blew me. Like it it blew me away. Um, I could talk about this film forever endlessly. And then when it did finally, first of all, when it came out, when it came out, like, you know, for people to be able to see it on Christmas day, right. Christmas day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well that it went into theaters on Christmas right. day. Yeah. I was devastated. Cause I thought it was going to be streaming that yeah. day. As well, <laughs> imagine and, me not having seen the movie. Oh my god! <laughs> having to wait I, until January fifteenth. Oh my god! Well, I did. So then, a couple days after Christmas, I ended up braving the theater um, and going to mm-hmm. the theater because I was like, I have to see it again, right? That was the third time I saw it, and then, um, then I ended up watching it twice uh, with a rental. So, it, and I will say, you know, when you go to that that uh, page to to rent the film and you see that twenty dollar. Uh, stamp it's a little like you know stick yeah. $20 to rent a film I will say I think it's worth $20 um mm-hmm. I can understand though people not wanting to pay that and and even even me like I split the cost with someone else just because <laughs> I was like oh, renting a film for $20 I'll buy like I will 100% buy it for $20 but um like I said my favorite film of of 2020 I think there's so much to unpack here um, I think it's so different than what I, I even thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, I think it's different from what a lot of people thought it was going to be. Uh, I think it's a, one of those films that I think everyone can benefit from seeing. Um, Cause you know, that's, that's, I think a question that gets brought up a lot and I know we'll talk about it too. Like, who do you think this film is for? And I would argue it's for everyone. I know we'll get there. Um, but yeah, I can't, I can't sing this, the praises enough for this. So, I mean, I think if that's not enough encouragement to go see this film, I mean, I don't know what, what it is. For? <laughs> um, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I really, really liked this film. And I think there is something about kind of like the hype cycle. And, you know, when you're hearing about it for so long and getting all the hype, I, I had to eventually mute Promising Young Woman on oh. Twitter because I was just like, I, I know I can't, I'm not going to see this for another couple months. So I, it, this, yeah. this is killing me. Yeah. Um, I- Yes, I understand. Yeah. So I really, really wanted to like unabashedly love this film. I don't think I'm quite there. That's not to say anything about the quality of the film or anything. It's just, you know, one of those things where expectations versus reality. But I think this is a a fantastic film. Everything you're saying is is really good. Um, And 
I think we should just keep this spoiler-free section really short because the less you know about this film, the better. But from the synopsis, you know, you've got the Carrie Mulligan character and she's been wronged by something in her past. And let me use the exact words that the synopsis does. She's uh, seeking out vengeance against those who have crossed her path. So it's kind of this revenge tale, but it does really clever things to subvert some of the revenge tale-esque tropes. Um, And we can talk really specifically about that in spoilers. And I think ultimately, you know, it's it's not really a spoiler to say that this film is about the Me Too movement and sexual assault and things like that. And I think the way that it addresses those things is both really subtle in certain ways and also really over the top in other ways. And I think Emerald Fennel does an amazing job of choosing when to do one or the other. And it makes for a really unique and fascinating film. It's It's such a good film. I haven't stopped thinking about it since I saw it. Right. Right. Yes. Same. And I think that's true for a lot of people, um, whether you liked it or not. And I always say, you know, like, and this is, I don't want to compare it to this at all. So when I say this, I'm not, let me just say, I'm not comparing it to this film at all, but I will never forget one of my coworkers coming to me after they saw Midsommar Mm. and being like, oh my God. Very different film, yeah. Right, very different, (laughs) but I want to use it for this comparison, right? Yeah. He came to me and he had all these things to say and this and that and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, but when is the last time you've ever talked about a film this way or made you feel something like this or made you think about things outside of what you know, right? Like I, and that's why it kind of bothers me when, not bothers me, but you know, when people have all these things to say, I'm like, okay, but at least we're creating conversation about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, when's the last, again, when's the last time you saw a film and then had to go to your coworker to come talk about it because you had so much, so many thoughts or so many things to say. So I think what I love about this film and why I say that I think everyone should watch it is because it's, it's going to create conversations that need to be had. I think on top of that, it's also just a very digestible film. It's very enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Like it's fun, um, which something that's similar to this, like something that has similar topics may not necessarily be fun like it it may not some films that are really important things like i would say like the assistant that deal with somewhat similar yeah. topics um that's not a film i would watch five times you know Correct. um but these Correct. this one is just delicious i guess is the word like it's a it's a delicious yeah. film to consume right well i mean think about the setting right a lot of the setting is like really bright and pastel-y colors and fun colors and aesthetically pleasing and you know mm-hmm. there there are these you know, heavy rom-com moments that people love, that people want. Um, you know, if you've been on Twitter in the past week, you've seen that that uh, that scene in the pharmacy, the stars are blind scene. You've seen that, mm-hmm. you know, a million times because it's it's this like, you know, like fantasy world, right? Yeah. That we all want to live in. But I, you know, and this, another podcast I was on with in their, in their own league, talking about it with the women there, we were talking about the marketing of this film and how it ends up being so different than what it was marketed towards. And I really think Emerald Fennell knows that people don't want to see a film about women getting revenge or women being as strong as that character that Carrie Mulligan plays, you know, like getting her revenge. I don't think people want to see that. I don't think society wants to see that. So I think she she, I thought I actually thinking back, like, I think the marketing is genius because it was mm-hmm. marketed as like a, like a fun horror film. Right. And it is horrific. Some of the things that, that we know happened in this world, in this, in this, that this film takes place in, 
but I think it was done in a way that she grasps your attention with those, you know, fun colors and fun setting and fun, fun and funny moments to understand this really intense thing that's going on and this really intense thing that's happening. Because if this was marketed as like a, you know, this is about rape and sexual assault and, and the trauma that it deals with, people don't want to watch that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like even someone like me who is a cinephile, I watch everything. I love, I love intense narratives about intense things like pieces of a woman. I don't know if you've watched that, but like, you know what that's about. And, and as much as I wanted to see that film, I like really had to prepare myself for it. Right. Like I really had to prep myself. Like I know something really bad's going to happen here. Right. Like, cause it, that they didn't hide that in the marketing at all. And I think that film is going to fly under the radar so much because so many people don't want to watch those types of films. Right. Like I have so many friends that they don't watch anything other than rom-coms or Hallmark Christmas movies. Cause they, they want to escape when they, when they take on a film, they want to be transported to a fantasy world. And I love, that's what I love about this is that Emerald Fennell does both and she does yeah. it perfectly. Again, I can't sing the praises enough. I think the screenplay is <laughs> amazing. I want it to be nominated for all the awards. Uh, in reality, I think it's going to get some screenplay and some actress awards. Um, but this needs to be in the conversation for more things. But in reality, I know what's going to happen. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Um, let's just go into spoilers and start okay. talking about this thing. Do you want to give a score out of 10? And that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like I said, I can't wait. Like, again, I, I kind of tr- try to base my scores off of, yes, of course, what I think about it and how, how the film's done, but also how, how quickly and how eager am I to watch it again? And this, I can't wait to own it so I can watch it whenever I want um, and not be, you know, uh, pigeoned into that, um, pigeonhole 24 hour window yeah, yeah. <laughs> into that rental period. So, um, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to own this film. So 10 out of 10, 100%. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really, really enjoy the film. There's one thing at the end that was shockingly not what I was expecting or, or wanted. And I don't know if that's a, a fair criticism, but we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, yeah. it's really well acted. The story is engaging high highs, low lows. Yeah. Carrie Mulligan, amazing performance. And again, I just think that the way that Emerald Fennel structures some of this conversation and how she shows arguments or shows um, sort of the discussion as it is in today's media, really fascinating and also really entertaining. This is an 8.5 for me. Um, Before we jump into spoilers, did you catch the Emerald Fennel cameo? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The blowjob looks amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's go ahead and say spoilers for Promising Young Woman starting now. That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. Oh, man, I don't know where to start. Uh, (laughs) I know, there's so much. (laughs) So let's go ahead and start with that point that you said about how kind of the marketing of the film suggests that it's something different than what it is. Because I picked up on that too. I feel like the marketing says that this is um almost revenge porn like there's yeah. the 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 what do you call it the poster has 
the indication of like these bloody lips and yeah. even the way that the first scene when she kind of gets yep. one over on Adam Brody makes it seem like she's killed the dude. Yes. And so it kind of positions the whole film as like, this is an unhinged person who is murdering people in revenge for something that happened to her in her past. And then it's very quickly shown that like, she's probably a little unhinged. Yeah. But she's not murdering them. She's the goal that she's trying to get to is to force empathy onto these people, to make them feel the same way that many other people feel. And I think that's a brilliant way to structure this film. I agree. Um, It's funny because in talking about it, like it's a little scary how here for her murdering, going on a murderous rampage. I was, I was like, yeah, Yeah. like I want to see that. Right. Like it was kind of like, I think cathartic for women, um, especially to, to kind of, we wanted that character that was going to, yeah. Like, savagely murder men who had bad intentions when they took her home from a bar. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you realize like, Oh, she's just eating. I think it, I think it's a jelly donut in the morning when she's walking in and she has, it's all running down her hand. I don't know if it's a hot dog with ketchup. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Um, but you're like, yeah, she's like all bloody and she doesn't even, and then you're like, Oh no, she's just like doing a not walk of shame. But like, again, the men that see her, uh, walking yell even yell at her like oh walk a shame you know amazing scene yeah 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 and yeah. um I and then when I realized like oh she didn't kill him I was like again it's that thing it's funny you know not that these two films are at all comparable but like we just said with one night in Miami it's like oh this is going to be a completely different film than what I thought it was going to be I was still here for it regardless um and like I said I think what what they end up doing here is way more intelligent and way more thoughtful than what the marketing um makes it seem like it's going to be but again I don't like this sounds I'm just gonna be really blunt here I don't think society wants to see women winning and this is Mm -hmm. a film about like you said seeking revenge and in in her terms right and and how are how are they going to market that to people you know yeah i mean so it, it's definitely about seeking revenge but i guess what i really love about the film is um it's so much more than that. it's so much more than just seeking yeah. yeah yeah the she always gives them an opportunity to express either remorse or regret or something like even the characters like the Allison Brie character she always is like is that still how you feel and The fascinating thing about this film is that other than the one character that we'll talk about in a sec, they're all they double down on their bullshit stuff. And like they're so quick to be like, this was so long ago. We were so young. You know, it was such a different time, blah, blah, blah. But then every single one of them is still like, I did nothing wrong. I'm the nice guy. Um, You know, I still think that this is what she deserved. And I think by making it not just like I'm just going to murder all these people or I'm going to torture them or whatever. She gives them the opportunity to show and express remorse. And the one character that does, the lawyer, nothing happens to him. She's like, she actually says, I forgive you, which I wasn't really expecting her to do in that moment. And I think that's super important for this character to be like a character that, I mean, you could still root for her, even if like you're saying she was like a Rooney Mara in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo character. But like, it makes her so much more relatable and humanistic to see like, oh, she's really just trying to make these people feel the way that people feel all the time. Right. And she's, um, she, like you said, she gives people a chance to do the right thing. Right. Yeah. And, and when they do, and, and I think, you know, in me analyzing this, like you're saying, everyone immediately jumps to 
we were so young, we were kids, things are different. Well, she was drunk. She, you know, especially with that Alison Brie character. Right. And I think this is saying that like how much our society is brainwashed into thinking that it's the victim's fault in these situations. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, no spoiler alert here. Her friend was raped, right? Like Carrie Mulligan, Cassie is her name her in the in the film her friend was raped right and so she's trying to go back and and write all these wrongs that happened to her friend because she was violently raped and she was not there to protect her no one was there protect to protect her and like like we're saying i think you know how much of the patriarchy is in all of us and you know when we hear you know when you hear something like this in in our in our world right this happens in society all the time is well was she drunk or well Mm -hmm. what was she wearing or well this well that no no like and that's why it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and that's why one of the the favorite my favorite moments in the film is at the end when you know and we see this in in uh bo burnham's character and ryan right we see it in in um al monroe the 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 rapist at the end when he he said they both have moments where they say ryan says like i can't live with the threat of this hanging over me right when he's Mm -hmm. when she calls him out and then al's character at the end like do you know what i mean like this is the guy's biggest fear and it's like well do you know what a woman's biggest fear is like (laughs) come on and even like actually my favorite scene in the whole film is um the scene with um Connie Britton. That's mine too. Yeah. That's the Oscar scene for me. Like if, if Carrie doesn't get nominated for an Oscar, that scene alone is reason why she should, um, you know, like she even said, she even says like, well, we can't like, we have to give the boys the benefit of the doubt, something like that. Yes. And that's exactly, and it's infuriating. And she even says like, you know, um, well, we get these, we get these, you know, accusations all the time like what are we and it's like that's <laughs> yeah. because it's fucking happening all the time like it's not the defense like, you think it is right she's like <laughs> yeah. she's like what do you well what are we supposed to do and it's like what and i just love that scene because i love how she turns it and it's like you know she the whole thing and i'm sure we'll get there and i'm, I'm sorry i'm jumping around a lot to it a lot no, of no. <laughs> here but um you know she's like oh well, i dropped her daughter off with the boys in that room now and then it's like then it's a concern right and she's like well, I, I don't have as much faith in boys as you do. You know, she, Carrie, uh, Cassie ends up saying that to her when she says like, I really didn't do that. Come on. Like your daughter's, it, you know, at this diner or whatever I tricked her, whatever. And, um, you know, she's, and then she says to her like, well, I don't have as much faith in, faith in boys that you do. So she's like turning the table on her because mm-hmm. she just said like, oh, well, we should trust these boys and what they're saying. Right. I just think there's so, I, I, what I, what I love about some films is that there's no wasted lines of dialogue. There's no wasted lines. There's no scenes that are wasted. Everything is working towards that message that she's trying to tell us. And this, this whole film works for me. The whole thing works for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the one question I do have for you and that I always ask everyone, there's two questions. First, were you fooled by Bo Burnham's character, Ryan? And second, what did you think of the end? Which I know we'll get there. So start, start with, uh, what, were you fooled by Ryan? Yeah. So um, I watched this film with my girlfriend. And so the whole time, you know, we're both huge fans of Bo Burnham. Yeah. And obviously the film makes you go, let's be skeptical of nice men, which is kind of one of the central thesis of the film. 
um, that even nice men can do terrible things because they have all these nice men throughout Christopher Mintz plots, Adam Brody, all these people. And so when Bo Burnham first came out, I was like, we don't want to trust this guy. But then at some point you were also like, oh man, I don't want Bo Burnham to be a bad guy. And then eventually when kind of, I guess maybe it's in the second act, she sort of abandons this revenge plot temporarily and she kind of just has a relationship with Bo Burnham. I was like, okay, I can relax. He's probably fine. This is the one glimmer of hope in this otherwise terrible world. And then when the video surfaces, like right when Alison Brie is like, there's a video, my girlfriend was like, well, I bet Bo Burnham is in the video. Like, I bet he's going to be a bystander or something. And I was like, yep, that's it. Shit. And feel kind of broken. And that's obviously the point. So I wasn't skeptical. And then I was. Yeah. Or no, I, I was skeptical. Then I wasn't. And then I was again. And I, it was just such a roller coaster of, of like skepticism. <laughs> Right. And, and I think you, you said that perfectly. I immediately, when I, you know, cause we meet him pretty early on in the film. I think again, since I've watched it so many times I've, I've timed it. I think we meet him 12 minutes into the film. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, when you meet him, you're like, you don't really know what's going on with Cassie yet. You know, there's something right, but we don't know exactly. So we meet him. We know that they know each other from med school. And then when we find out that the, the whole thing, with her friend happened with the guys at med school. I was like, Oh yeah, we can't trust it. Like immediately. I was like, Nope. Like I wasn't sure either. Mm -hmm. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, right. Which is this whole theme of the right. film, giving yeah. men the benefit of the doubt. But as soon as I knew he was connected to, to med school and the guys at med school, I was like, Nope, like he's involved somehow. Right. And that is a really important thing. Exactly. Like you, the word you said is bystander, right? This is really about, being a bystander. And by that, I mean, yes, Bo Burnham's character, Ryan being a bystander when it happened, because you think he's a good guy and it's like, no, the good guys stop things like that from happening. Good guys, um, you know, later on when the detective comes to her, comes to him and he doesn't, he doesn't tell him what's going on, you know, yeah. like yeah. the good guy would have come forward in that moment, you know, and he never, he never owns up, never comes forward. Right he plays the same excuse that they've all played as we were so young. That was so young. That was so long ago and blah, blah, blah. But even like women bystanders, right? Like Alison Brie's character and Connie Britton's character, like they're bystanders mm -hmm. as well. And I think, and again, this goes to my thing of why I really think this is an important film for everyone to watch because, because of that, we're all complicit somehow, some way. Right. And I hope this creates bigger conversations around how to not be complicit, how to, how to eliminate bystanders. And so that this doesn't have, this doesn't continue to happen in our world, men getting the benefit of the doubt and women being raped and not being listened. Right. I mean, yeah, it's just, this is, this is so relevant, this film. Right. And I don't, I don't think it ever won't be relevant, which is why I think everyone needs to watch it. <laughs> Yeah. On that note, I guess I've got a question before we hop into the the end, and there's still so much to talk about. So, so we'll, much, we'll yeah. try and we'll try and be be quick. But um, I guess my question is because sometimes this film intentionally goes over the top or becomes cheesy or kind of like hams up how on the nose some of these defenses are, right? Like, and I think that's something that I really love about the film, where where it'll be like, oh, you know, I'm I'm the nice guy, or um. 
I, I didn't do anything. I was just there, you know, stuff like that. And in the film, it feels like such an over the top, ridiculous analysis of that to be like, this is such a stupid thing to say. And these characters are so clearly in the wrong. Um, my question is, do you think that like anybody who might actually be actively thinking that, do you think like they can see themselves in that? And do you think that they can make the connection that, hey, this is something that I need to reassess with my life? Because personally, for me, like this is a film that made me reflect on like my time in college. And I can confidently say nothing like this ever happened in my group of friends or anything. And I'm and I'm happy about that. But like it does make me reassess like, well, maybe there's things where like I know somebody who said something that was sexist or who said something about somebody who may have been in a situation like that, you know, stuff like that. And I think it does a really good job at making you recontextualize everything else in your life. Yeah. But I wonder if it's a film that will make people who have been a part of the bystander complicity. Do you think that the film is realistic or like weighted down in reality enough for that to have an impact on those people? That's a great question. And and I think yes and no. Right. There's going to always be people that you know, and not to say I don't mean to say this after you just said this, but like, oh, my friends would never do that or oh, Right, right. Oh, I don't know anyone who would do that. And it's like, you just, and not, and of course I'm not trying to say like, you don't know your friends or like even me, like, I don't know my friends. Right. But I think even, I think none of this, this hasn't happened that we know of, right. Like that, you yeah. know, with your friends that I know sure. of with my friends or whatever. Right. And, and by, and what I mean by that is I'm not saying like somebody I know has raped someone and I don't know about it. What I'm saying is like, do I have male friends that may have cat called a woman? Absolutely. I'm sure of that. And right. I think even looking at it from that standpoint, like it doesn't always have to be so drastic, right? Like it doesn't always have to be this rape revenge or sexual assault revenge, right? It's, you know, even by that, that perfect scene in the beginning, like I said, like we were talking about, like, you know, these, these men, these men are catcalling her and she's just standing there staring at them. And, and then, then they, they get angry. And then they yeah. crumble, right? So even as something as simple as that is standing up to these, you know, I've been catcalled before. I I hate, like, I hate to make generalizations, but I'm sure every woman my age has been catcalled yeah. walking down the street. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident in saying that. And I think that's even what she's trying to say is even people that are, that don't think they're complicit, like, and, and by that, I mean my, myself too, right? Like I've been catcalled. Have I turned around and called these men out? No, I just keep walking. I don't pay them any mind or maybe I'll say like something snarky back or um but do I ever stop and turn around and say like why are you doing this what are you doing here and I think that's what she's trying to say is even in these small moments we need to to pay more attention and and be more self-aware and and call people out because it's happening all the time right now I hope that people that realize they're bystanders when they watch this reflect um, I've read so many reviews and I've looked at so many things on this film that I have seen some um, uh, men critics, men film critics that I follow. I've read some of their reviews and they've even said the same thing. Like it may, really made me step back and reflect on my time in college or, you know, things that I've been complicit in or did I say or do things that made women or or men or people around me, whoever, whoever that may be, have I made them uncomfortable? Do mm -hmm. I need to reassess, you know, the way I think about X, Y, Z? So I think there's always going to be people who are willing to reflect and there's always going to be people who aren't. So I think 
this film though does have the power to make people who've never reflected reflect right like have you until you saw this did you ever think back to to like what you said like thinking about your time in college or thinking about your friends in college and how things went down you know like this film made you think about that and has any other film done that or did you ever think about it you know just with the climate of things that are going on or was this really like a sounding board for that for you yeah i mean this I definitely have in the past as well. I think there's there's other movies that do not not in the same way, I think, but it, in other ways definitely make you reflect on like, oh, is, uh, you know, like, for example, the one that I talked about in last week's episode, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, yeah. does make you think as a man, like, it doesn't make, it makes you think about things like tapping somebody on the shoulder or, you know, as you're walking past somebody, putting a shoulder on or putting a hand on their shoulder as you're passing them in the bar, stuff like that, that like, you might not necessarily think about, but when it's shown to you in such vivid fashion is like, this is something that I should always be thinking about. So right. um, I don't want to say like, oh, you know, I'm the most retrospective person in the world, but like right, right. I, I have, but like definitely this one is one where it kind of brings up a lot of things. And um, I was on the track team at Boston University. So there are two Boston University's credit. They've had stuff in the past before with teams. So when I was there, they did a lot of proactive bystander training and sexual assault training and stuff like that. So I was also able to reflect on my experiences in those classes um, and how, you know, seeing a film like this makes those feel more like things that actually happen instead of like, this is probably never going to happen, but it's good to know just in case, you know, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, even look at like, you know, the stuff with Kavanaugh, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I still can't, wrap my head around that because here's a woman who's standing up like he wasn't on trial right like she was just trying to say like this happened to me with this man and he should not be held to the highest court and yeah <laughs> where you like like and no one was it's looking at her. like it's it like it's infuriating to me like i i don't think i'll ever be over that in my entire life um or the stuff with like the brock turner stuff like he <laughs> didn't really have to pay for what he did and not that it's about it's not that it's about paying for what you do it is and that and that I think is done well in this film too like the fact that Al gets arrested at his wedding on his wedding day is just like chef's kiss right (laughs) like it's so good it's supposed to be the happiest day of your life and and also like so many people are not going to like I was thinking to like I've thought about this this film so much right I was thinking like what is his bride thinking what is his guests thinking like they're especially then when they find out like the actual story it all comes out especially when you think like this is all done and all over with and that's part of it too right they they all think that because this is something that happened when they were younger and in college and stupid and drunk and whatever, that they think it's all in the past. And it's like, your past is always going to come back to haunt you when you've been a piece of shit in your past. Right. Yeah. So I, I loved the way that was done. And just going back to what I was saying, it's like the whole premise of the film, right. Well, that we've been talking about is that none of this would have happened if all of these people would have been empathetic. Like you said, when Cassie confronts them, if they would have been empathetic, empathetic, then they wouldn't be in the same place that that they're in. Her best friend wouldn't have, we can assume, killed herself, right? Because this happened. Like she's she's dead, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I that's my assumption is that she committed suicide. Yeah. Um and we we don't really it never really goes into it. We don't really know. Um maybe one day we'll get a prequel and we'll get to 
you know, see the whole thing. I don't know. I just want these characters to come back again somehow. Um, so there's so, so much to unpack here. Right. And, and like I said, it, it's that thing of, of, you know, you think even, even like Cassie's character, like you said, we think that she's killing these men and then it's like, Oh, she's just trying to make these strangers that she meets better. She's trying to teach them a lesson and trying to mm-hmm. make them better people. And I had like jokingly said before, like, you know, she's keeping that count in that little notebook. And I'm like, is she like set out to changing every man in the world? Like what, like, <laughs> when is she going to stop? Right. And that's yeah. when I, she realized that like, she has to go to the core of what caused this pain and this, this in her life. Right. And which is why she targets those people. And there's those like, again, those like perfect, uh, like Roman numeral looking check marks when really the tally marks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I don't, I, there's just so, so, so much to unpack here. Um, even like, you know, the scene when she goes to Alfred Molina's house, the lawyer, and he's empathetic and everything. And then she ends up going and sitting outside her best friend, Nina's house and, and Molly Shannon, the, the mother comes out just how childish she is there. Like, she has a little bow in her hair and she's drinking a juice box and like mm-hmm. sitting, sitting on the steps, talking with her mother, like talking about the past. And, and like, that is, that's where, like, for me, there's these little over the top moments that I don't think other people pick up on. I'm like, she's just so childish in that moment. She still, still lives at home, this and that blah, blah, blah. Right. But I think that's where it's like, she's trying to show like Emerald's trying to show us like she's stuck. Right. And she can't get past this. And then even Molly Shannon's character says like, please get over this for all of us. Right. And that's a big argument for me too. And I think that's a big, like a big theme in this film is that for, for offenders, like Al's character, you know, people who are committing sexual assault and rape and these things, it's just a blip on their timeline. And for women like Nina and Cassie, it completely controlled and changed their entire lives. And I think that's what, most people don't understand about this me too climate, right? This me too thing. And I think it's, that's something that we need, like, like you were saying, if, if anyone's going to reflect on things from this, from this film, I hope people reflect on the way they think about victims and people speaking out. It's not for attention. It's not for why, you know, whatever these things people say, like, why didn't you come forward sooner? Or, you know, whatever things get tossed around all the time. It's, people need to be believed when they're coming, mm-hmm. coming out with these, these things that have happened to them. And, and I hope this, this film creates empathy and, and, and creates, you know, people that are more willing to hear things out and not just dismiss, well, we were drunk or she was drunk or, you know, we were kids or whatever bullshit excuse they have. Right. Um, that's what I hope happens when people watch this. Yeah. I want to, I want to, mention one other thing that I love about the film before we go to the the kind of finale and talking about that. And it's that thing that you said that there's these bullshit excuses that people use all the time. And like some people will actually kind of say and get some validation for like, oh, well, she was drunk or we were young. It was so long ago. And there's an aspect of this movie that really baffled me for a while. And it was like, why did this event take place in med school? Med school is not known for rampant partying. Uh, like this feels much more like a thing that might happen in undergrad or in high school. And I think that's normally where you get these stories as college 
frat parties and stuff. And even some of the the language that she uses, like you were really popular in college, like it's not really grad school and at least not my grad school. I'm, I'm not in med school, but like it, it doesn't seem quite right. And so the whole time I was just thinking, why is she doing this? But I think, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons and they're all brilliant. One of them is that like, okay, these are supposed to be doctors. They're supposed to be the best, the brightest, the smartest people. They're still offenders and rapists and bystanders. And that right there. That's exactly it. Yeah. 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 But then the other thing is that there's so many times that the characters say, we were young, we were just kids. And it's like, no, you weren't. You were in grad school, which means you're 25, 26. Like you're not a kid anymore. You're you're not young. It's not that long ago. Like Bo Burnham's probably what, 32. So it was like five years ago. So it's just like a hyperbolization of how stupid that argument is. It's like anyone over the age of 18 should be held accountable for their actions. And like, yeah, you can say you made a mistake when you were younger, but like it's not valid defense to be like, oh, I was a kid when you sexually assaulted somebody in your 20s. So I just thought that like without actually saying that, that little detail was so brilliant. And I maybe I'm reading too much into it. Like, no, no. Okay. I think you're exactly reading it into, into the way it should be read into. I absolutely agree. I think that was exactly her point of doing that is like you were saying, like these are people that are held to really high standards and they're still complicit in these things. I think, you know, um, for me, it's really that moment when Cassie goes into see Bo or to see Ryan, Bo's character, Bo Burnham, right? Yeah. She goes in to see him at the hospital after she's, been given the phone with the video on it and she goes to him and I just I love that scene too and she's just like oh look at this and he's like oh what and then he's like oh I don't want to see this and it's mm-hmm. like oh all of a sudden it's offensive or like I also love the way that she just like brings these things up and people are suddenly very like we can't talk about this or I don't want to talk about that and I think that's part of it too where it's like People don't want to have these candid conversations. People don't want to admit when they've done wrong. I think that's exactly part of it is, is these people who we think are good people, whether they're our friends that we know or whether they're doctors, that everyone is complicit at some point in some mm-hmm. way, somehow, right? Yeah, it's really, like I said, that scene for me where she shows him the video and all of a sudden he completely changes and is like, I don't want to see that. And she's like, well, you watch then. You know, and that's saying that, like, again, you're not a good guy because you would have stopped it then if you were a good guy. You would yeah. have never let it happen. Um, yeah, I love that aspect of it. I love, like you said, that, you know, these these people aren't really that young. Right. Yeah. But that's their excuse because that's the only excuse they can find. Right. They have nothing else. It was we were young and, and drunk and stupid. And that can't be an excuse. I would even argue, like you said, like anyone over the age of 18 is responsible. But I would even argue like even younger than that. Like you are you taught what's right and wrong as a child. And when you get older and you're a teenager, you should still be able to know what is right and wrong. And, you know, like recognize that that's not something that you should ever let happen. Right. You know that I think, like you said, I think it's. I think it's perfectly done. And I think she's calling it out. Like she knows that. And I think, you know, people like you and I are really looking in, like looking more deeper into that. I think other people are going to think, yeah, they were in college. It doesn't matter how old they are. They were in college. Mm -hmm. Right. With air quotes. Right. Like when you're in college, you're allowed to do stupid things. No, no. 
that's not that's the excuse that you're in college is not the excuse. <laughs> there is right. no excuse, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think I think that's very purposeful in the way she uh approaches that in the film. So it's 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 really, really smart. Um yeah. let's go ahead and talk about the finale here pretty quickly. I think we're we're going long, so I don't wanna <laughs> you know, I, I feel like we could talk about this for so much longer. Yes. But yes. um did the end work for you? So when she dies, when she gets killed, I was like, no way. Yeah. She is faking it. She's going to come up and be fine. And I still believed that she wasn't dead until they burned her body. Correct. And then I was just like, what the hell? Why? So I guess I'm interested in like, since you really love the film and it doesn't prevent me from liking the film or anything, but it ended on like, a, oh, damn, like why, how, why is she dead? She doesn't get her closure or anything. So I guess just as somebody who really loved the film, what, what did you think about that? So I completely see where you're coming from. I was also in complete disbelief the first time I saw it. Yeah. Like, no, no, this can't be happening. Like, no, she's going to, like you said, she's going to pop up. She's going to be a lot like, you know, whatever. But after really reflecting, even after I saw it the first time, really reflecting how else it could have ended this works for me. And I think the reason why it works because it's showing us that it's showing us a lot of things, right? Like she was willing to die for this, like, which I think we knew, right? Like she's putting herself in situations every day where she could have been killed, mm -hmm. like going home with these men that she doesn't know that are drunk, that are, you know, trying to rape her, right? Essentially have sex without consent from her. Um, she's putting herself in dangerous situations, but I don't think we recognize that in the beginning because she ends up getting out of those situations and mm -hmm. she's the winner. Right. I think still with this ending, she does get her revenge, right? Yeah. Just because she can't see it out. Doesn't mean that it, that she doesn't know that it's going to be the revenge that she wanted. I think, I think because she, was willing to die for this and willing to willing to die for it, that she knew that that was what had to happen. And again, I think this shows that like the patriarchy always wins. And I think this is hoping that this is going to make a change for that because I think she's still our hero in this film, right? Like as much mm -hmm. as I would have loved for her to be like, sulking around like for her to have survived and be and like you know in the corner in the woods at that wedding watching them get arrested i don't think it would have worked as well like what then she's just supposed to go on living her life like this and again that goes back to my thing where i'm like this completely changed her life this was her only focus she gave up med school she gave up having a life she and when she thought she could have that life with ryan right with Bo, when we see them falling in love and all these good things and then I think that was really like the nail in the coffin, right? Where she realizes like, oh, even the person that I thought I could fall in love with is complicit in this and directly involved in this. I think that's really the turning point where she knows like this is the only way this can end. And I think if you go back and 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 watch it with that, that like this is how it has to end for it to make a difference, then you look at the ending completely different. I understand mm -hmm. people being upset about the ending. It totally works for me. Um have you had a lot of people say that they like, I'm sure you've talked to plenty of people about this. Do more of them like the ending versus dislike it? Is it 50, 50 or is there a predominant opinion? 
I've seen both. I, a lot of the people I've talked to, I think agree with me. They think the ending works, but I have seen a lot of talk on, on Twitter and stuff that like the ending just didn't work for a lot of people. Um, I I mean, I I do want to say that, like, I don't think it didn't work for me. I just like, it shocked me and I felt dissatisfied because of that. But I do completely see what you're saying that like, it makes it feel more realistic that right. the patriarchy wins or like she doesn't get a, the full happy ending. So that, that does make sense. But right. um, I'm just curious you were if just, other people you were dissatisfied because you were sad because you liked her character. and yes. wanted her. Yeah. Well, of course, and I felt again, I yeah. felt the same way. But I and like I said, I was in disbelief. And then when the whole thing happened with, you know, them getting arrested at the wedding, I was like, oh, this is genius. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I could see past that. Like, I wanted her to survive. But but you know what? She was also a shell of herself. Like, you know, that mm-hmm. scene, that scene with her dad when when her dad's like, you know, we we Nina was like a daughter to us and we really miss her. But man, we've missed you, you know, and I think her dad is so thoughtful and so kind and, and I, you know, appreciate it that he was a man in this that wasn't looked at in a bad light. Right. But it was like the only time he saw her becoming back to herself was after she brought a guy home and like was in a relationship. I think that's a yeah. big part of it too. Like she realized like, I'm never going to be whole again, no matter what she brings in and out of her life. Is she going to be whole? <sighs> yeah. I, I can understand. I mean, I'm sad she died too. Like that, that <laughs> yeah. like, you know, but I, I've realized, and I, I don't know if everyone realizes like, that's the way this film works. And like you said, like that shock value, like that twist, right. That's like a major twist. Um, and that she knew it was going to, again, she knew it was going to happen. Like she sent the, the stuff to the lawyer so it could be taken care of. And I love that. Like he gets to redeem himself you know too like she was giving him that because he was the only one that showed remorse right mm-hmm. i just think it it now did i think the like scheduled text messages at the end were a little cheesy like yeah but again like you said there's some other cheesy moments in the film so it works again yeah like it sticks with that right and it was like she had the final say then you know so yeah i don't know it's just like all of it works for me all of it works <laughs> for me i'm totally bought in i'm totally for bought sure in. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean I think even if the the ending doesn't fully work it doesn't detract from the rest of the film which as I hope people can hear from our conversation is just really really fascinating and dense. I said fascinating again. I got to get a better word, Erica, but, but it's true. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's okay uh, to use when it's true. <laughs> but yeah, I think we'll uh end it there. Um so that was our conversation on promising young woman. If for some reason you listen to the spoilers and haven't seen the film, go write that wrong. Yeah. Fantastic. Definitely worth $20, but I'm sure it'll be to rent for six bucks in like a month. So whenever you get the chance. Yes. Let's go ahead and move on to our point two section really quickly, where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. So Erica, what have you been watching recently? So I was lucky enough last night to watch St. Maud, um, the new A24 uh, horror film. That was, I'm still thinking about that one too. That's <laughs> one that I think is going to stick with me for a while. Um, I don't want to talk about it too much or give spoilers or anything, but um, if you're someone who likes a, I wouldn't, it's interesting that it's really being called a horror film. I mean, it is, but I think it's more like psychological thriller um, type of genre horror. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's good. It's very good. If you like that kind of stuff, definitely seek that out. I also, recently what have i watched i don't know what have you been watching let me pull up my letterbox (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I can I can hop in. Yeah. Um, I've been watching a handful of like screeners for films that are premiering at Sundance, and I can't talk about those. Yeah. But definitely stay tuned for podcasts about that. That That's going to be exciting. But I did want to shout out two specific things that I've been watching, and they're very different. The first is the Showtime series called Escape at Danamora. Have you heard of this? Sorry, I, no, I thought you were going to say Your Honor with um, Brian Cranston. I've been watching oh. that, and that's so good. If you if you have Showtime and you haven't watched it, you should definitely start watching okay. it. Okay. I, I checked out the first episode, and oh. it, I, it didn't work for me. Okay. Um, okay. But... Yeah, I, I see. I see what it's what it's going for. Um, yeah. But Escape at Danamora. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's the the 2018 limited series that stars Patricia Arquette, Paul Dano, and uh, Benicio del Toro. I did hear about this. It's good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really good. Um, it's directed by Ben Stiller, and I think it might be the best thing that he's ever done in any form of doing things. Um, yeah. I just think it's really competent storytelling and television. It's like one of those types of TV shows that is just easy to consume and it feels like almost that it was easy to make because it's not trying super hard to be excelling or to be excellent but it's just like i don't know it's it's just good and the performance is fantastic i think that's a no-brainer if you have those three in it but i think paul dano in particular it's like the least weird paul dano has ever been he looks completely <laughs> saying, normal and he's a, a murderer in prison so like oh, okay. <laughs> But um, yeah, really great series that I think kind of like went under the radar for a while. I mean, it got some awards buzz and I think Patricia Arquette won a Golden Globe or whatever. I but like, right. Yeah, um, I'll definitely seek that out. I'll add that to my list because obviously it's we're right in the middle of winter and we still have lockdown on our hands. So it's yeah, not going anywhere. So we're just catching up on things. I also, you know, I also recently just watched Our Friend um, with. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that? No, but I've heard that. It'll require tissues. Yeah, it's good. Um, it, it's 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 slow building, but it's but it's good. Um, and really strong performances. And it's also one that's like based on a true story, which is okay which is nice. Um, it's really different. Like I've seen other, of course, we've all seen other like you know like My Sister's Keeper or like other films where people are unfortunately dying of cancer. And I just felt like this one was really different, and I liked it. Hmm. Definitely got to be in the right head. Like, like you said, like definitely bring tissues. You're not a human if you don't really at least shed a tear in this one. <laughs> I also recently just watched The King of Staten Island for the first time. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. I did a podcast on that back oh, in you? June or whatever. That was another rent for $20 purchase. Oh, yeah. Right. I waited till it hit HBO Max. I was like, I don't want to pay 20 for that one. <laughs> um, but I liked it was that one was a little slow. Like it. I liked it, but it was also like, I felt like it was a little long, but yeah, it's Jude Apatow to like, or Judd Apatow to a T. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and then the last one I'll say that I watched is, um, Bakura, Bakura, Bakura. Have you yeah. seen that? Yeah. That's I've seen that. Wild. That is wild. I'm going to be writing a review for that for in their own league, um, soon. So, um, yeah, that was wild. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's actually on prime. I think that's on Amazon prime as well. So, oh, really? Yeah, I think it is now. Okay. Um, we yeah. we checked it out on Criterion Channel. Oh, so, okay. um, but that was like, my girlfriend really loved it. Um, it I liked it, but it made our like top 10 yeah. of the year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, I think, so our friend ties pretty well to the other film that I wanted to shout out. It's an mm -hmm. indie film called White Lie. Okay. Have you heard of this? I, I recognize the title. Yes. Okay. 
Um, I kind of wish I didn't know anything about the premise of this film, but I do have to give it away to talk about it. So I'll do that. This is about a woman who's played by Casey Roll and she's faking a cancer diagnosis. So kind of, you know, I might be an interesting double feature with our friend, but basically, you know, it's kind of up in the air why she's doing this, but she has like a fundraiser for cancer treatment. And so she's getting a lot of money and attention from this. And she's basically... She shaves her head and pretends to be diagnosed with um, melanoma. Did, was this 2020? Uh, I believe it premiered at TIFF in 2019. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's recently on VOD and everything. Okay. Um, but it turns out it's like really hard to fake cancer <laughs> because- Yeah, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, the, the whole film is one of those films where it's just like the lengths that she has to go to to keep up the charade and how it's, it's one of those uh, Icarus stories of- going too far and your your own downfall. I think the film does a really good job at thinking about how somebody would actually go about doing this and how incredibly difficult it is. Because like you do have to pretend that you're sick and sure you have to shave your head for the chemo, but you also have to like pretend that you're going to the chemotherapy and you have to get fake medical records. So how do you do that? And I really like that this film thinks about that and plays it out relatively realistically. And I feel like it has a really good atmosphere of um, like tension of is she going to get away with this? You're waiting for her to slip up. What's the one lie that she is not believable enough or who figures it out? And it's just one of those films that kind of keeps you engaged the whole time. So I I really liked it. Um, Well, can I, and if if this is like major spoiler that you don't have to answer, but why does she seek out doing this? Is it because of the money? Is it because what is, what's the reason for her doing this? Yeah, so that's sort of up in the air the whole film, and it's not a spoiler to say that it doesn't really answer it, which I found to be probably the thing that frustrated me most about the film, because it does sort of feel like there's a reason that she's doing this, and the film seems like it's structured, like there's going to be this reveal at the end that's like, oh, this is why she did it. And you can kind of intuit why, like it's it's for the attention and it's because of the way that her parents treated her around Uh, when she was in high school and stuff. So it's like, you can kind of get it. But I did find that the ending was really abrupt and underwhelming because it kind of just ends and you don't ever fully find out like what's going on with this person. Because like she is a psychopath or maybe a sociopath. I don't don't know. I haven't seen Mindhunter in a while, but like (laughs) there's something like the way and the effortlessness that she goes about lying is just so sociopathic. It's just, you just keep going. It's like, it, it's almost like a metaphor for life where like you just take one thing and you just keep going and it's just a, right. a vicious well, uh, cycle. But well, you've convinced me to add this to my list and seek it out. Where Where is it? Is it streaming anywhere? Yeah. Um, well, so, I mean, it's it's available for rent on VOD, I think right. on Prime specifically, but a couple bucks. Um, okay. it, it's, a, it's a good little like I, I like supporting these kind of like smaller films. Yeah. This was given to me as like a, um, a screening or a, a like a, a press screening. And yeah half the time when like little tiny films do that i'm like no thanks but this one kind of intrigued me and i was pretty pleasantly surprised by it even though the ending is a bit underwhelming and it's um it's white lie right yeah white lie uh from 2019 okay and yeah check it out on prime yeah definitely all right this has been our review of one night in miami and promising young woman Erica, thank you so much for joining me. This was amazing. I thought we had a fantastic conversation. One of the best conversations I've had in terms of both of these films, I just think are so 
easy to to talk about and parse out, but I think we did a really great job. Yeah, this is so fun. Thank you. That was so kind of you to say. Yes, I had a blast. Anytime you want to talk about Promising Young Woman, the next time you watch <laughs> it, if you see something else, just hit me up. I'm always willing to talk about it. Um, Promising Young yeah. Woman podcast round two. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, and honestly, like I would love to be a guest again. This was so much fun. Um, anytime you need a guest, you know where to find me. And um, yeah, this was this was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Is there anything specific that you want to plug here? Um, so like you said earlier, you can find my stuff at um in session film in their own league and CRP rights. I'm working this year. My goal is to do um 52 films by women. I don't know if you've seen that before. Yeah. Um, so essentially that works out to be one a week, right? Um, and I'll be writing about those at in session. I'm also, like I said, a huge Hitchcock fan and um I realized though that there's a lot of Hitchcock films I haven't seen. So I'm going to try to seek out those ones I haven't seen as well. Um, try to do one a month, one a month, I think. And um, I'll also be writing about that at in session. So, and then just regular reviews um, here and there. Um, so yeah, you can follow me at E-Rock reviews on Twitter and E-Rock 114 on letterbox. I really try to keep up with my letterbox stuff. So yeah, that's <laughs> where you can find my stuff. Awesome. I um I hadn't seen any Hitchcock until a couple months ago, and then there was a like for Prime Day they had that box set. I don't know if you've seen that. Yes, um, yes. And so we started with Rope. So that was the first one that I ever saw. We already talked about that, that but I've been going Hitchcock? through them. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, part of it was that it's such a short movie that it was yeah. easy to pop in. Some of the other yeah. ones are a bit longer, mm -hmm. but um, so we've done Rope, Rear Window, Vertigo, and Psycho. So slowly making our way through all the classics. Those are those are part of my top five. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I can't say enough about Hitchcock. I'm obsessed. Now that you've seen Psycho and then you're just getting into Hitchcock, I highly recommend. I'm also like a documentary nerd. So I highly, highly recommend um, 7852, which is the documentary. It says it's about specifically the shower scene in Hitchcock, but it goes or in um, Psycho. Sorry. It goes into a lot of other Hitchcock stuff too, though. And it's just really interesting, um, really interesting documentary. It's on Hulu right now, if you have Hulu. Cool. So um, definitely highly recommend that. And I think it's only, it's less than 90 minutes as well, I'm pretty sure. So, um, and I've seen that documentary like five times. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so definitely seek that out. I think you would, will enjoy that as, as someone who um, appreciates filmmaking. It's really interesting, so. Awesome, I'll check that yeah. out. Yeah. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMaripod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash MovieMaripod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie-marathoners. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and wherever else you get podcasts. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time when our coverage of the Sundance Film Festival begins. By the time we release this, it'll be on Wednesday. So the next day is Sundance. So I'll just have a bunch of mini review episodes. I've got a bunch of new guests coming, some old guests as well, to help me do a bunch of mini reviews for all the episodes. Um, 
I have some interviews with filmmakers coming up, which I'm really excited about. And I'll also be doing like a festival recap episode where we talk about the top five films from the festival, all sorts of stuff. So I'm very excited. Um, Stay tuned for all of that in the coming weeks. Until then, remember that life's a marathon. So let's take it one movie at a time. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.